have two readings this morning. The first one is from 1 Samuel, and then we're moving on to Proverbs chapter 3. So the first one is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and makes them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then we're on to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 20. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the chance to get to know you more. And we pray that as we study your word 
and listen to your voice. We pray that you would help us to draw close to you and know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So that prayer really is uh, the prayer that we're praying throughout the whole of this series of talks. Um, We're looking at the names of God, the different names of of the Lord that are used uh, in the Bible. But what we're really wanting to know is, is him. We're wanting to get to know him and what it's like, his character, uh, and to draw close to him, to, to know him more. That's what we're, that's what we're about. And today's uh, kind of theme, today's name of God, God is a God who knows or a God of knowledge, is actually quite an intimate um, topic. And I'll get on to that. But I want to start with something more ordinary because one of the things that we've been wanting to do for quite some time as a church is to have more of a a connection, if we can, between uh, the, what we learn um, and, uh, and our worship on a Sunday morning and what we do midweek, the people that we engage with, the work that we do, the different kinds of interactions that we have in our, our midweek lives. And I want to start with something that connects to that because God being a God of knowledge or God who knows uh, is connected with that. So can we just have a show of hands of anybody who's involved in any of these sort of sectors? So anybody who's involved in any way in education? How many of us are in some way involved in education? Okay, uh, what about uh, research or fact-finding in any part of our job? So that might include if you work, say, in building or engineering. So actually, um, if you're retired, Think about what you did during the course of your career. So fact-finding, engineering, where you need to, if you like, measure or find out or where, if you like, what's happening on the ground or under the ground or inside the walls really matters to your, your work. So any, anybody in that, uh, that sort of sector? Yeah, okay. Uh, what, about, um, uh, what about finance and accountancy, where accuracy and... Um, representing things in ways that, that, are, that match. Okay, yeah, so a few there. The law, um, or policing, or public order. Yeah, um, so some there. Helping children grow in their understanding of the world and their wisdom and understanding. How many of us are involved in our day-to-day lives in that, that sort of thing? So I mean, parents uh, you know, fall into that bracket, but lots of, lots of uh, others as well. Okay, so lots of us... I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand that when we talk about the Lord being a God who knows or a, a God of knowledge um, and how wisdom and understanding and the truth itself are part of God's character and God's purposes, it's, let's hear what that means for us. What it means for us is that our midweek lives, what we do during the week and our interactions with the young and the old, the things that we do in our uh, um, uh, with our neighbors or with our children or in our workplaces, those reflect, when we are engaged in those sorts of things, we are, in, we are reflecting in ourselves the character of God. He's made us like us, and when we do those kinds of things and are concerned with getting to find out what the facts are or helping somebody else to grow in wisdom and knowledge, we are in that, in that we're reflecting the character of God and we're reflecting the purposes of God. So we're not just earning money or doing what needs to be done, we're contributing to God's good purposes, and we're reflecting his character uh, in us. That's something of great significance to the Lord. And I think we need to sort of hear that. 
There's something really valuable to God in what we do when we leave our front doors or when we don't leave our front doors and attend to the growth and development of our children uh, in midweek. Serving the Lord is not about, or not just about what we do when we come here on a Sunday and worship, and it's not even what we do in evangelism when we seek to reach others with the gospel, perhaps, in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. Important that those are, it's our work as engineers, as researchers, as parents, as educators, as builders, accountants, and the rest of it. That is part of contributing to and helping the purposes of God because he's a God who knows and he wants that to be reflected in his creation. Um, he wants us to be founded on, if you like, reality. So let, if that's part of your midweek life, let that sink in and encourage you your midweek life, perhaps your career if it's now, you know, if you're retired, your career reflected the character and the purposes of God. So I'm going to start with the Proverbs passage. What do we learn about God's wisdom and understanding from that Proverbs passage? The first thing that we, uh, the first thing that we uh, learn and understand is that, that God's wisdom is a woman. Oh, that should have been up a bit earlier. Um, God's wisdom is a woman. Now, that might come as no surprise to maybe 51% of us. What kind, but what kind of womanly wisdom is God's wisdom? What kind of womanly wisdom is this part of God's character? Well, I think what we're supposed to understand is that it's a practical, down-to-earth kind of wisdom. Wisdom in Proverbs is wisdom and knowledge. It's about being in touch with reality, having your feet on the ground. God's wisdom in Proverbs guides her actions to make family life and wider society just and secure. And it's about avoiding wrongdoing. So, as I said, it's about being in touch with reality. And actually, if you're looking for a definition of what knowledge and knowing stuff is, well, it's, it is about being in touch with reality. That's what, that's what knowledge is. And that's what God's wisdom and understanding and knowledge uh, is too. I don't know whether you noticed in the passage, God's wisdom and understanding guides his actions. So, um, in part of that passage, by his understanding, he created the heavens, the skies, and the earth, and makes the dew come. God uses his wisdom and his knowledge, what he knows, to guide his actions. And we're, we're to do the same, uh, to, to reflect his character. In that Proverbs passage, wisdom and understanding are things to be sought diligently. So, Knowledge of the Lord and knowledge of right and wrong, which is what Proverbs is uh, about, they're not things that you can't find out. We can find them out, but it maybe takes effort to find them out. So um, uh, knowledge of the Lord and of right and wrong can be found, but, but they're maybe hard to find. And sometimes, I don't know whether you noticed this in the passage, um, as wisdom addresses you know, the, the, the growing young man, uh, the growing young man is expected to get things wrong quite a lot of the time. So growing in wisdom and understanding is about making mistakes and being corrected. So there's a, if you like, there's, a, there's some better and worse answers to be had, and sometimes we'll mess it up and require correction. That's what gaining understanding is about. And in that passage, uh, the passage says, Seek wisdom 
and you will get ultimately pleasure and happiness. Not, not the other way around. And I think that's an interesting challenge to us as well. So I think we kind of need to be careful sometimes about how we speak about our children. So we sometimes find ourselves saying stuff like, like this. We say things like, so long as they're happy, well, that's, that's all that really matters. So long as they're happy, that's all that really matters, right? Anybody, anybody said something like that, right? We often say stuff like that, don't we? Right, this passage says exactly the opposite way around. It's not by going for happiness that we, um, that we get things right and put, put things right. It's by going for the Lord's wisdom and knowing him. Gaining his wisdom and understanding, that is the path to happiness. Trying to grasp happiness directly often actually doesn't even lead to happiness. So it's a, it's a, challenging, um, it's a challenging little passage about the, about the Lord's wisdom and understanding. Of course... It's complicated, isn't it? Because the Lord's, going for the Lord's wisdom and understanding doesn't sort of instantly lead to an easy life, right? So it is a complicated path. But he does promise us ultimately, and that ultimately is kind of important, isn't it? He does ultimately promise us life in all its fullness. And we have the word of Jesus himself on that point. Well, okay, what... what, what what difference does, does that make? So I think it challenges this picture of God as a God who knows, who makes his knowledge and understanding available to us, challenges some assumptions that are there in wider society. So one assumption is that there aren't any facts about God. I mean, sometimes kids come back from school, sort of, you know, they've been taught to distinguish facts from opinions. And guess where, guess where the teacher's uh, sort of tend to suggest that facts about God or um, ideas about God lie. Well, they're, they're not in the, uh, uh, according to you know, what they often learn at school, they're not in the realm of facts, they're in the realm of opinions. And what about things to do with right and wrong and how we should behave? Oh, opinions too. Well, that's not consistent with what this passage is te- teaching. Uh, it's a very prevalent view that nobody can really know about God. Nobody can really get any knowledge about God, right? Lots of people think that. Nobody can really get any knowledge about ways to live, how we should live. Nobody really knows, right? That's, that's what's widely, widely said. Right? But that's not what the Bible says in passages like this. Um, and it's not what Jesus says either. So it's Pontius Pilate, so I don't know, you know, towards the end of Jesus' life, it's Pontius Pilate who says, huh, what is truth? I, nobody knows. Nobody's got any truth. Nobody really knows what truth is. That's all hopeless. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I came into the world to tell people about the truth, and everyone who belongs to truth listens to me. And one of Jesus' biographers, Luke, says, I've written this biography of Jesus so that you may know the truth about all these things you've been called upon to believe. And another biographer of Jesus, uh, John, says, God, the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has enabled us to know him. And again, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Bible's giving, giving us a 
pretty clear picture from start to finish that it is possible to know stuff about God and about how to live. It's not something that nobody knows. It's not all hidden away. Um, Pontius Pilate was wrong. We might need to search. We might need to investigate. And we might need to have our errors corrected. But God isn't hiding. And he can be known. So God, God is a God who knows. He can be known. And he wants us to know him. And I'm going to skip a bit. Um, I actually think that um, uh, knowing, knowing, the, knowing the Lord and being convinced of, of the Lord's truth is actually the best foundation for um, proper respect and listening to others, particularly across cultures and across disagreements and differences. But if, you, if you're interested in that, um, I'll be happy, happy to talk with uh, uh, anybody about that, that sort of stuff um, and how, how actually what we learned today provides the best foundation for that. Um, but I want to go on to the, um, from the Proverbs passage to the more intimate story about Hannah um, in 1 Samuel. So what we got in the reading was Hannah's prayer. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about this woman called Hannah who, uh, or remind you, uh, if you if you don't know her story already. Her prayer is where we get this phrase, the Lord is a God who knows. It comes once in the Bible and that's where it, come, uh, it came from. Uh, so that's, that's why we have that, that reading. The Lord is a God who knows. So the story of... Um, ha- this story about Hannah is a story that's ultimately about the birth of a prophet, a very significant prophet in the history of God's people called Samuel. Uh, so that's, if you like, that's the bigger story. And this story about Hannah is part of that, but it's very intimate and personal to her. So Hannah was childless. She couldn't... I mean, it's, it, it's so intimate. But essentially, this story is about Hannah's gynecology. Um, it, so it's quite intimate. It's quite personal. Hannah was childless. She couldn't conceive. Her husband, Elkanah, Uh, was incredibly kind to her. But being childless was very painful to Hannah. It was partly painful because um, Elkanah had two wives and the other was was very spiteful to Hannah about the fact that she couldn't conceive. But it wasn't just that. Hannah, she wanted to be a mother. And not being able to have children was incredibly hard, incredibly painful for her. So... At their annual trip to a place called Shiloh to worship the Lord, she was pouring out her heart to the Lord about her childlessness in floods of tears. Uh, And the priest there, Eli, initially he thinks that she's drunk. uh, So he starts giving her a hard time. But eventually she explains that, no, she's not drunk. She's pouring her her heart out to the Lord. And Eli sort of joins in in praying with her that the Lord would grant her request. And the Lord does grant her request. Um, she conceives. And the prophet Samuel is the child that's, uh, that's conceived in answer to that, to that prayer. And she then dedicates him to the Lord um, as, she, as she had promised. And the passage that we had read is her prayer of giving thanks to the Lord and recognizing his uh, uh, um, 
ability to change things. Now, in that prayer, she refers to the Lord as a God of knowledge, a God who knows. And what that means in this context is, the Lord is one who kind of knows us inside out. He knows the wrongdoing of the powerful and wicked, but he also knows the deepest needs of the poor and needy and people like Hannah who come to him in their desperate need. He's a God who knows both of those things. I guess it might seem frightening sometimes to know, to be aware that God knows us inside out. But I want to focus on this aspect of God who knows our deepest needs. He knows the cry of the heart of the, the poor and needy because that's what it meant to Hannah. The Lord knows our needs He knows them better than even we do, and he loves us. He can be trusted with our very deepest needs. And in focusing on this, I want to call attention to a verse that has really struck me this week from from this story. It's a verse from, if you like, the telling of the story in the uh, the previous chapter. So here's here's the verse, or here's sort of a... Um, the, the main parts of the verse. So, Hannah's been pouring her heart out to the Lord at Shiloh. Eli um, also joins her in praying, and then she goes home. And then the next bit uh, says, Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Now, in some translations, That's translated perfectly sensibly. Uh, Elkanah made love to his wife, uh, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her, she uh, she conceived. Or uh, Elkanah had sexual relations with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. But in the Hebrew and in the older, you know, if if you grew up kind of uh, reading, uh, you know, what now seem very old-fashioned translations, you'd know that you'd have heard this read, Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah. It's a way of talking about having sex. But it's interesting that that the writer of 1 Samuel puts these two kinds of knowledge side by side. Elkanah knew Hannah. So let's, let's think about that. Elkanah was this lovely gentleman who yearned to comfort Hannah in her distress at not being able to conceive. Um, he's very tender and kind. If you read the story in that first chapter of, uh, of 1 Samuel, he's incredibly tender and kind and attentive to her. He notices her distress, and he's trying to comfort her. Elkanah knew Hannah. And, of course, that phrase is referring to the fact that they had sex together. He knew, you know, as we sometimes say, he knew her in the biblical sense. All right, um, but in their intimate sexual relationship was an expression of their tenderness together, right? Um, in their marriage relationship. Elkanah knew Hannah in a beautiful way. Well, what about the Lord? The Lord remembered Hannah. Well, what, I mean, let's just pause. What is remembering? I don't know whether you ever kind of thought about this. What is remembering? Well, remembering is what you do when you already know something or someone. Right? So you can't remember something that you 
didn't know in the first place, or you can't remember someone that you've never previously known. Remembering is what you do when you already know something or someone. And the Lord doesn't just know Hannah now. He's known her in the past. In fact, he's, al- he's always known her. His knowledge, the Lord's knowledge of Hannah, has a long history and a depth to it that even the intimacy that Elkanah and Hannah have together can't match. I think that's why we have these two things put together. Elkanah knew Hannah, but the Lord did something that's got a much longer history and depth to it than that. He remembered Hannah because he'd known her all along. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord, and the Lord has known us for a long time. He's like a long-standing friend. He knows our situation. So, you know how when you get together with a friend and you don't have to explain things, you don't have to explain everything about your situation from scratch because if you're with a long-standing friend, they already kind of know. They already know what, what your situation is. And that's, that's really nice, isn't it? It's nice to be with long-standing friends. We don't have to, and the Lord is like that. We don't have to explain everything to him uh, from scratch. He knows. I think, I think, though, having said all of that, the Lord does kind of like it when we tell us our heart and our, and our situation. Psalm 139 tells us that the Lord has known us from even before we were born. Your eyes saw my unformed body, so even when we're in the womb. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Lord remembers us. He's known us already. He's always known us. That's what the Bible's teaching us here. He's our our oldest friend. Now, I have some experience of this in my own life at a particularly painful time. It came to a head one, uh, one time when I was staying with my mum and dad uh, one year over Easter. And as some of you will know, my dad's a retired bishop. And at, the, at, the point, at this point uh, uh, of the incident I'm about to tell you, he was the Bishop of Carlisle. And at that point, the bishop's house uh, was, was this place. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so I was staying with them uh, in, in this place. It's called Rose Castle. Uh, it isn't the bishop's... Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it, that these massive piles uh, of bishop's houses. But anyway, it isn't anymore, um, but it was then. So I was staying in this, uh, this remarkable place. Um, and I had turned 30. I'd just turned 30. And I suppose... I'd sort of had this idea through my life that I'd be married by the time I was 30. I think I thought I'd probably meet somebody at university and get married to, that, uh, 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 to them at that point. I mean, that's what my mum and dad had done. And I'd had various friends, so, you know, that, that had been what had happened to them. Well, I kind of thought, well, that, that, that'll be how it, how it goes. Anyway, university had sort of come and gone, and I was still on my own. And... I, I didn't want to be on my own. Um, I, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't like it. Um, when I turned 30, 
I'd just come out of a relationship. So maybe I thought that probably I'd get together with somebody at university and that would be where I would kind of find the person that I could get married to. But for sure it was going to happen by the time I was 30. Well, when I turned 30, I'd just come out of a relationship. I hadn't actually that, I hadn't had many relationships. But I was on my own again. And I found that very, very difficult. And this Easter time, for some reason, I can't remember why, mum and dad um, had, had gone away on Easter Monday. So um, it was just me staying. Uh, staying yeah, yeah, I had plenty of space. Um, it was just me staying on for another day or so before I went back to where I lived in Manchester. So I went into the chapel uh, at Rose Castle, which actually is, it's like that, see those windows there? That's all, that's all the chapel. Um, and there's a lovely big, a grand piano in there. So I went in and I played some worship songs. And, and basically, I, I was a bit like Hannah. I just found myself crying and crying and crying and pouring out my heart to the Lord about how I, about how I, didn't, I didn't want to be on my own for the rest of my life like it pretty much looked like I was going to be. And I guess somehow the, you know, the stopper was taken off, the wellsprings were open, and I just um, cried and cried before the Lord in that chapel until, like, you know, a bit like a cloth with all the kind of water wrung out of it, I cried and cried and cried until I couldn't be wrung out anymore. And at that moment, I, I very clearly sensed what... It wasn't an audible voice, but I had a very clear sense of what the Lord wanted to say to me. And what he wanted to say to me was, what took you so long? And um, uh, that was kind of funny as well, because um, a, a few weeks earlier that year, uh, Emma Bunton had released uh, a single called um, uh, What Took You So Long? Um, <laughs> Baby Spice from the Spice Girls. So, and, and I remember... Even in that moment, being rather surprised that the Lord was an Emma Bunton fan. Uh, <laughs> so, but what took you so long? See, the Lord knew me. He had always known me. He'd always known me. Um, he was longing for me to come to him with the pain that I was feeling, and he was ready. So, you know. What, what took you so long? And I think we've all got a part to play in God's plans. Hannah did as the mother of Samuel. And I did, and I do. We all do. And I think the thing is that the Lord's plans don't crush us. The Lord knows our needs. He knows our deepest needs. He's always known. He, he remembers us because he's known us for so long. Our needs are safe in his hands. And some of us, I think, maybe like me, can get into the way of believing a lie about the Lord that he's always going to ask us to do something incredibly difficult and painful. Uh, and that his plans are full of pain and hardship and kind of grim obedience for us. And I think the insight from this passage about Hannah 
is that the, the Lord's a God who knows. He's a God of knowledge. He knows us. He's always known us. He remembers us and our deepest needs. Maybe the things that we've not even expressed to anybody else are safe in his hands. He can be trusted with them. Does, does that make sense? I think that's something that Hannah learned there and that we're told when, in the passage when it says, Elkanah knew Hannah, the Lord remembered Hannah. Um, our deepest needs are safe in his hands, even when he's weaving them into his larger plans. I want to suggest some areas where we might want to seek prayer, when we might want to come today to the Lord in prayer personally to know him more in, the, in this respect. Um, to know him as he, as he really is and to be able to trust him perhaps in ways that we haven't trusted him before. So maybe you also have believed a lie about the Lord that he can't be trusted with your deepest needs. That he fundamentally maybe doesn't understand you, doesn't really understand you. And that his plans and purposes will heartlessly involve asking you to do one difficult and painful thing after another. Well, let's, let's come before the Lord today Seek prayer. There's going to be prayer um, during, when we have communion distribution. You can pray one-to-one with somebody in the, in the side chapel. Now get communion. Go and, go and have prayer with, with somebody in the side chapel if this applies to you. Let's seek to know the Lord as he really is. He's your oldest friend and he knows you from the inside out. So maybe that's, that's one reason for coming before the Lord and seeking him in a fresh way today because you've believed a lie about him that he doesn't really know your needs or doesn't care about them. Or secondly, maybe you've never actually brought your heart's desires before the Lord. Well, today would be a good day to, to do that. Bring your heart's desires before the Lord as Hannah did. Come to him. You'll find him faithful and trustworthy. A third possibility is like Hannah, maybe you've, you have been coming to the Lord with your pain and yearning, and maybe like her, you've been doing that year after year. You've done it many times, and nothing seems to be happening. Well, if that's you, maybe come to the Lord again. Let Hannah's story speak to you. And as Eli prayed, may the Lord grant the request you're making of him. The Lord's plans are complicated, aren't they? But he does love us. He knows us inside out. So if that's you, if you've been asking something of the Lord over and over again, and nothing seems to be happening, maybe let today be your Shiloh moment. Keep coming to him with your heart's desires. And I don't know, a fourth suggestion is maybe something from this series so far has spoken to you already in previous Sundays maybe you need the Lord to be your hiding place in times of storm and trouble or maybe you don't feel maybe something in this series has made you kind of think gosh do I really know the Lord at all 
Um, do you need to come to him and get to know him for the first time? Well, look, for any and all of these reasons, come to the Lord in prayer. Let's stand before the Lord together. He knows us. However much or little we have known him, he's known us. He has known us. He's always known us. Right from the beginning, the Lord knows us he's, and he remembers us. So let's stand. Maybe hold out our hands in readiness for what he's got for us. Lord God, we want to know you more. Thank you that you know us. And now, Lord, we bring you ourselves and our heart's desires to pour them out in our hearts before you. Let's stand in prayer and maybe listen and quietly join in as the musicians lead us. Let's engage with the Lord. His arms are open towards us. He wants us to come to him. And he can be trusted even with our deepest, deepest needs.